You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Watching this, my name is Joyce DeRiga, and I'm the editor of the Chicago Catholic, which is the newspaper for the Archdiocese of Chicago. This is something new we're trying out, um, kind of medium on um, sharing the news that we're covering for the Archdiocese of Chicago. So, talking if you can go online at chicagocatholic.com, you can see all our stories, subscribe to our newsletter and social media, or you can subscribe to the paper. It's $25 uh, a year, and we publish about every two weeks. So in this latest issue, we cover the kickoff mass for the 100th anniversary of Mundelein Seminary. And Archbishop, or Cardinal Wilton Gregory, who's a, a Chicago native and alumni of Mundelein, celebrated the mass. We also have another historical moment coming up, the 75th anniversary of the canonization of Mother Frances Cabrini. And the shrine, which is the only national shrine to her, is located in Lincoln Park, and they're kicking off a jubilee year next month. And there'll be a plenary indulgence offered to folks who visit there and Holy Name Cathedral. That's going to be a secondary site for um, the Jubilee year. And, you know, a very moving story I was honored to do. A mom who, whose son was killed, um, random gun violence in Belmont Gresham or Belmont Cragen in July, on July 3rd. He was an Illinois National Guard. He was home ready to get assigned to his base. Essentially a good kid, wrong place at the wrong time, but they're a very faith-filled family, and the mother shares what they're going through and um, how she's been leaning on her faith and such. And we also did a story that we're going to talk about today about Jesuit Father Damien, which Damien Avenue is named after, and the role he played in helping the folks on the west side, who are many of them were poor um, immigrants of Catholic you know, background, and um, what he did to help them in the days and the weeks and the months after the fire. And to talk about that today, we have Ellen Skerritt, Ellen, big fan of Ellen Skerritt. She's a Chicago historian and a, very much an expert on all things Catholic in the church in Chicago and the history. And she's been doing a book on um, Saint, the history of St. Ignatius College Prep, which, which was a college before that. And while she was doing that, she discovered the role Father Damon played in um, the days and weeks after the fire. So one of my favorite things that Ellen has done, if you get a chance, is at the shrine to Mother Cabrini in Lincoln Park is an exhibit of Mother Cabrini's history in Chicago. There are artifacts. There's the room where she died that's made up. So I highly encourage you to go. It's free. So welcome, Ellen. It's good oh, to have you here. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. So let's talk about Father Damon. Can you talk, give us a little bit about who he was and um, how he came to Chicago and how he established Holy Family? Well, Father Damon's story is one of great interest to me. Uh, what I discovered in doing the research for the history of St. Ignatius College Prep 
but he was born in a, a small town in Lower Holland in 1815. And he grew up in, in what would have been a barn church, a clandestine church uh, that looked like a barn because at the time, uh, Dutch Catholics were not allowed to uh, worship in, in houses uh, of worship that looked like churches. Um, so when I think of Father Damon and all that he accomplished in Chicago, it's always with uh, the backdrop that he grew up in a very, very humble circumstance. And yet in the interior of the church, there were marks of great refinement. It was an organ, which meant m music had been very important to him as a child and beautiful paintings. And again, when I think of, of Holy Family, this great cathedral on the prairie, um, it, it, I, I see him as a patron of the arts as well. Um, he, he came to Chicago in 1856 to preach a mission he had learned English uh, as a 22-year-old when he came as a, a, a seminarian uh, to St. Louis. But we know from research that one of the things he did before he left uh, France was to visit Versailles. He was actually one of the first tourists when Versailles became a tourist uh, attraction. And there I found uh, a, a marvelous book um, with illustrations and and. St. Ignatius College Prep looks quite like many of the buildings at Versailles. So I like to think that Arnold Damon came, he came with a vision, he came with culture. Uh, this was nurtured as, when he was a pastor in St. Louis. Uh, he became a dynamic preacher. And one of the things I've, I've learned is more and more newspapers have been digitized so we can understand his range. Wow. Uh, he was preaching missions from the 1860s on, wow. and the uh, the amount of coverage was was quite amazing. Um, these missions would attract upwards of 10,000 people. Wow! Uh, return many to the sacraments. So he was widely known at the time of the Great Chicago Fire. Now talk about so if we didn't if I didn't um, make this clear so we're talking about Father Arnold Damon and he established built and established Holy Family Church which is on Roosevelt Road which is very near where um, Mrs. O'Leary's house. I feel so bad for Mrs. O'Leary. Can you just talk about, it wasn't her her cow, and it really, no, we don't know. Can you talk a little bit about her, the true role that she might or might not have had in the fire? Well, one of the interesting things I've discovered in my research is that Catherine O'Leary sent two of her sons to uh, the, the boys Jesuit school on, on Morgan Street. And she paid 50 cents a month, which wasn't a huge amount of money in 1872 to send her, her sons. Um, and so we have um, evidence, and, and that's what historians need is evidence, that she was investing in the future of her children by sending them to the Jesuits. And actually they had to walk past the Foster Public School in order to get to Holy Family School on Morgan Street. Uh, Catherine O'Leary was a businesswoman. She couldn't read or write, but she certainly could do math. And she had a business with five cows and uh, she was an entrepreneur. Um, again, uh, she was demonized. Uh, the, the accounts of Mrs. O'Leary and her cow, it's never Mr. O'Leary and his cow, it's Mrs. Leary. Yep. Um, they, they were, um, really in the in the national press by within weeks of the great Chicago fire. And it took until 1997 till the Chicago City Council absolved her of any blame uh, for starting the Chicago fire. In fact, the original fire commission had absolved her. But again, 
um, Chicagoans and uh, we, we love our stories. And one of the things my husband always says is you historians ruin people's good stories, <laughs> um, you know, with evidence. But in this case, you know, Catherine O'Leary, um, it's taken 150 right. years, really, so to crazy. be, you know, absolved. And um, the, the connection um, with uh, what we, we see photographs of the O'Leary cottage and it's very humble. Her world was much larger than that small cottage where she had her milk business and raised her family. And Holy Family, the Church of the Holy Family, this Gothic church that had been dedicated in 1860 to which she brought her children to be baptized, um, was a place of great beauty in her life and in her neighborhood. And she had contributed to the building of that. I, I like to think of, of the churches built by immigrants as, as like little art institutes in the neighborhood. Yeah. And they were places of, of great beauty. And this at a time, to get back to your earlier point of anti-Catholicism, um, when church building was really seen as a property, as a, a proper activity for the wealthy, that poor people really should be, oh, in modest churches. Um, well, Catholics didn't, didn't subscribe to that. They came with a culture from Europe that they reinvigorated here. What I think is so interesting to me about the Church of the Holy Family is that this was a new experience for Irish immigrants such as Catherine and Patrick O'Leary. In Ireland, they did not have an experience of building big churches. In fact, their, the, the Irish churches had been taken over by Protestants. So in a place like Dublin, for instance, uh, Catholics had to uh, worship in, in places not unlike Arnold Damon's barn church, uh, inside alleys, you know, in commercial buildings, um, not churches. And so coming to the United States, uh, building a church, you were creating a place of beauty, but you were also creating a place for yourself and your family. And literally, you were investing in your future. And I, I, I like to think of Arnold Damon as a city builder with mm. great plans. We think of, of Daniel Burnham, who was younger than Arnold Damon, but is known for the city beautiful. And Arnold Damon began with the church and the school right away and expanded. Um, I, I, again, one, one of the discoveries that, that has just touched me so much has been uh, above the main altar in Holy Family, um, is a copy of Murillo's Holy Family. And the original hangs in uh, London, in the National Gallery in London. And I was able to discover the name of the Belgian Jesuit who painted the copy. And I, I learned that he had traveled from Brussels to London and stayed six months learning how to make a copy of, of the painting of the Holy Family. And it's quite a good copy if you compare it with the original. Um, so. Here, Arnold Damon is a patron of the arts. This is at a time when the city does not have an art institute. Mm. And the painter G.P.A. Healy, who painted Father Damon's portrait that hangs in the Brunswick Room at St. Ignatius College Prep, had tried to start an art institute in Chicago. Um, but Catholics had, had places of great beauty, and they had invested uh, in art. And, and it was there for the poor as well as the rich. And um, we think of the neighborhood of Holy Family um, largely because of Jane Addams and Ellen Gates Starr, who founded the pioneering Hull House settlement on Halsted Street in 1889. And yet the world was much larger for Catholics. Um, and Jane Addams and Ellen Gates Starr, they knew Catholics existed. Um, 
they didn't talk much about the Catholic culture or the education that went on in the institutions. And so historians really haven't known about that. Um, one of the things that I, I love to do is to take historians to the Church of the Holy Family and St. Ignatius College Prep and, and watch their jaws drop, you know, when they walk in and they see this place of great beauty. And you say, yes, this was all here. And, it, and the church was dedicated 10 days before Jane Addams was born. Um, Let me, so we're going to have to go to a break in a minute, but I just want to, to your point, I think that's something we could explore in a story in the future too, because a lot of people are always like, oh my gosh, they spent so, money on the, so much money on this church, you know, they could have been feeding, but there's a reason why our immigrants did that, and um, I think that would be a fun story to do. But when we come back from the break, if I wanted to, we'll talk about the fire, and then what he did in the days and the weeks after, and I also want to go back to explaining the anti-Catholicism at the time. So we'll be right back. an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continue to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people. You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to others. I want to be that beacon of hope too, and it's, it sets my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at archchicago.org slash seminarianfund or call 312-534-7959. In recent weeks, many people have reached out to Catholic Charities to ask what we are doing to help our Afghan brothers and sisters. They also ask how they can join us in our work. Current estimates suggest that 50,000 refugees are headed to our shores in the coming weeks. Based on a decade of experience in refugee resettlement, we predict that it will cost $50,000 to resettle a family of four for six months. This includes housing, food, clothing, and other urgent needs as they establish new lives in Chicago. As Jesus tells us, whatsoever you do for the least of my people, that you do unto me. Please assist us as we welcome the first 10 families. Visit catholiccharities.net to donate to our special refugee resettlement appeal or call 
6087. Welcome back. My name is Joyce DeRiga. I'm editor of the Chicago Catholic, the newspaper for the Archdiocese. And I've been talking with Ellen Skerritt, who's a local historian, about Father Arnold Damon. He's a Jesuit who established Holy Family Parish on Roosevelt Road. And also what's now Ignatius College Prep, but was Ignatius College back at the time. And then his role in the days and weeks after the um, Great Chicago Fire. So, Ellen, do you want to talk about that? Like where He wasn't there at the time, but he quickly mobilized his parish to start helping right away. So go ahead. Arnold Damon was in Brooklyn, New York, preaching a, a mission at St. Patrick's. And he got word from Chicago, from a telegram from his good friend, uh, William Onahan, who was a city collector at the time, telling him that Chicago was aflame. And he deputized um, William Onahan to open the church, the, the college, and Holy Family Boys School, and to begin helping uh, the needy and the homeless sufferers. Um, what's, uh, many of you have, have been to the um, Museum of Science and Industry and seen the U-505 submarine. Well, William Onahan was the grandfather of Admiral Gallery. So there are these links that go all the way back. Um, what's interesting to me is that the footprint of the Jesuit institutions in Chicago was enormous. It was larger than any other church in the city. It would have made sense from uh, any kind of economic point of view, to to have that be the center of relief services, but it didn't happen. Um, why not? The um, alderman uh, Holden, who was chair of the city council at the time, uh, decided that it should be at the first congregational church on uh, Washington uh, Avenue mm -hmm. and Racine. Uh, no longer exists. It was a fraction of the size of the Church of the Holy Family. But um, at the time, it would have been unthinkable for the city fathers and the elite in Chicago to have Catholics be the center of relief. Um, and, and the relief society that was um, housed there uh, with the city government was tasked with the, with the job of deciding uh, relief for Chicagoans. And they were very interested in who was the deserving poor. Mm. And of course, parents weren't, they were undeserving. So what you had to go through, the hoops you had to jump through to get any kind of aid after the, the great Chicago fire. Now, in contrast, in one of the things I, I found uh, pasted in a scrapbook in the archives at St. Ignatius College Prep was this marvelous illustration of the Jesuits reaching out. You can see the burning city behind it, and they're, they're ministering to people um, without distinction of race or creed. And this was the New York Irish world, and it's evidence, national evidence, of the Jesuit outreach. Well, Father Damon came to Chicago, back to Chicago on the train for two days. He saw, you know, the devastation in the city. But already by then, the the, um, the church was housing orphans. The school was housing orphans. It's amazing. Um, relief was pouring in. One of the reasons I, I find this so remarkable that it's, it's not part of the Chicago narrative, we know from the... Um, 
letters and the correspondence of the Religious of the Sacred Heart, who were on Taylor Street, and the Sisters of Charity of the BVM, who were on Maxwell Street, that they were too were getting supplies because they they were so beloved and and um, it the news went all the way to France, of course. Um, I have a, an account written in French talking about, you know, the bell of the convent on uh, Taylor Street rang every hour, you know, with people looking for help. And so here you have a story of immigrants helping other immigrants. And the people who had the least were the giving giving the most. Um, well, this think, has been part of the Catholic tradition. Yeah. And um, we touched on this before we got went on the air that I don't, I think that Sometimes as Catholics in America, we don't really know our history, you know, or maybe we forget. And at this time, this is what I want you to speak to, um, and then the time of Cardinal Mundelein and such, there was rampant anti-Catholicism in the country. And, like, you couldn't be Catholic and American, and and that still comes up sometimes today. But can you talk about that environment? Why why were um, Catholics kind of left out of these bigger programs, and what was the prevailing opinion of Catholics at the time? Well, the Catholics were seen as um, not contributing much to anything, especially the Irish. Um, they were the Irish were a threat, of course, politically. Uh, they had a um, they were able to mobilize votes and quickly become a, a presence in the city. Um, but Catholics, the idea of of building churches, and then a, a, I would have to say the school system. Um, in Boston, there weren't Catholic schools on the same level in Chicago. In, in Chicago, the Catholic schools grew right up with the city. Mm. And the idea, uh, why were they necessary? Well, they were necessary for um, religion, culture. Um, it, 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 it was part of the fabric of, of Catholic life. And again, this was a new concept for many immigrants, for Italian immigrants, for, for Irish immigrants that didn't come uh, with that experience of Catholic schooling. Um, it, it created a world, uh, again, for working class people, um, Americans tended to think that the farm and rural life was really the ideal. Catholics had a different narrative and coming to the city, cities were seen as good places, um, certainly for families and what made them livable were the churches and the schools and the networks of relief and, uh, a place such as the church of the Holy family had was open from five o'clock in the morning till late at night and had, you know, all kinds of, uh, I, I've looked at school programs that are just marvelous. And, and you see very early on, say at the time of the great Chicago fire, um, the productions, the St. Patrick's day productions, mm-hmm. thousands would come and the children were to perform, um, the graduations for, uh, uh, St. Ignatius college were, were meant to be public events. This, you were showing who you were, you were showing how American you were, you were showing that you were cultured as well. And the level of art and music and drama that you can see in these programs. I mean, these are wonderful history projects for students. Uh, and, and again, it, it tells us more about our, our own past, what we yeah. brought, um, what gets lost, um, and, and how, how difficult it is to change narratives. And that's why I think the more you have evidence, uh, visual, textual, uh, it helps you make the case. And that's what I've been trying to do. I feel these last couple of weeks that I've been fanning the flames of the Great Chicago Fire, but um, most of the coverage uh, 
doesn't really talk about the loss to Catholics. And I, I, I'm looking at a marvelous 1871 book, uh, A History of the Fire, that was put out. And on page 138, it says Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic denomination suffered more severely than any other, and then gave a detailed list of, of all the churches and schools uh, that had, had um, you know, um, disappeared in the fire and what they cost. That's amazing. I can't wait. We'll have to have you back on when all that comes on because I was interviewing someone recently. He's a Jesuit scholastic, and he was raised, or no, he's, he's a brother now. He was swimming Lake Michigan uh, eight miles to raise, no, it was, yeah, it's eight miles. It's a marathon in the um, the water to raise money for the Christo Ray Network. And he was saying Chicago is so unique in that you can have a Jesuit education from elementary school all through postgraduate because of all the Jesuit institutions that we have here. And, you know, I think that um, that's a story to tell. You know, Chicago, we love our history, and and it's a good story to share. So there are there's remnants of something that he put in. Can you talk about the lights that Father Damon, um, the candles and the light that are now lights at the church? Yes. Again, with evidence, there's a, a Jesuit ledger. And uh, on the Feast of the Circumcision, January 1st, 1872, a special collection was taken up to have the lights continually burning before the statue of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Um, uh, Alex Severino is a graduate of St. Ignatius College Prep and has, has been finding marvelous things about his alma mater and was in touch with the, with the Jesuit archives in Belgium. And one day I opened my computer and here are these marvelous photographs of what the church and the school looked like at the time of the Great Chicago Fire. And so there was much to be lost. And um, the, the statue of Our Lady of Perpetual Help um, was in the east transept of the church. And one, one of the interior photographs showed where the seven lights originally were set. Today, they are on a, a small side altar in the east transept, and they've been on continuously um, throughout uh, the, the, uh, the years, even when the church was, was closed and almost demolished by its Jesuit owners. Um, recently, I, I had some interesting correspondence with Patrick Hayes, the Redemptorist archivist in Baltimore, and he has written about the uh, Redemptorist devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help and said that at the time there wouldn't have been uh, formal prayers, but but the outpouring uh, to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. I think when um, Protestants, uh, ministers wrote and talked about the Great Chicago Fire, many of them saw it as a, a punishment uh, for the evils of, this, of city life. Uh, I don't think Catholics thought of it the same way but the, uh, the prayers to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, again, uh, the way in which Marian devotion um, was so powerful and so necessary. Um, one of the articles um, that demonized uh, Catherine O'Leary called her Our Lady of the Lamp. Now, that could only be taken as a slur by Catholics, knowing you know the importance of Our Lady and uh, and the and the lights. So um, it, it it to me it's it's an idea that um, we have these devotions that that perhaps change over time. But but if you understand what they meant to people at at the time, and um, Ellen, I got to interrupt you. We're running out of time, but um, this was awesome. Thank you. I just wanted to share with people again. We're from the Chicago Catholic, which is the newspaper for the archdiocese. Next issue. 
We have a story about the opening of the local synod process that um, Pope Francis launched in Rome, and then there's going to be a local part of it piece here. We also have, it's 25 years since Cardinal Bernadine passed, so there's going to be some special events around that talking about his legacy. And we also have a story about a foundation, in, it's a national foundation with a local chapter that raises money to provide funds so that students with severe disabilities can go to Catholic schools. So it's all good stuff. You can go to, and as always, you'll get the great photos of Karen Calloway, our award-winning photographer, which many people probably see her out and about, and our staff writer, Michelle Martin, and me, and Cardinal Supich, and the rest of the, the gang. So if you go to chicagocatholic.com, you can subscribe, sign up for our newsletter, check on, um, follow us on social media, and subscribe to the paper. It's $25 a year, and we appreciate your support. We were founded in 1892. So we're one of these, uh, I think, we're one of these Chicago history kind of um, ministries. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ellen, and everybody. You know, Ellen's got a lot of stuff that some books she's co-authored and a book that she wrote, and she's working on this Ignatius stuff. Highly recommend it, and definitely go see Mother Cabrini's um, exhibit if you can in Lincoln Park. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you, Jordan.